We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured and Celluloid on Make Time for This, proudly a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. Andrew, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing as well as I can be. Um, You know, we've reached the point in the calendar where it gets dark at 4 p.m. and I just get to sit and ruminate on all my existential dread. Uh. So that comes at a great time, though, because I get to talk to you about movies, and that always lifts my spirits, even when the subject matter is a little dreary and bleak. It could be worse, Andrew. You could be isolated on a small island off the off the coast of Ireland, the west coast of Ireland. Basically, if you were to just you know start swimming, if you're to find a coastline, not over not over in Oregon. I know you're fond of the coast over there. But that would be I a am, long yeah. swim. Um, but stick closer to where you are geographically. Start swimming. And one of the first places you would come to um, would be likely, depending on what kind of course you took, the islands where this film was shot. The film we're talking about today is The Banshees of Inish Aaron, the latest from Martin McDonough. A very interesting filmmaker. Uh, a very significant writer, I think, would be the the best way of putting it. He's one of the most celebrated playwrights of his generation. Um, undoubtedly, incredibly gifted as a writer, has a very unique, pitch black comedic view of the world, and I think in his career to date in movies, the success with which that has translated into good movies has. Uh, very significantly, at least for me. I mean, I, I don't know if that's universal. I don't... I, I feel like he is pretty divisive and that there's not really anyone who's just like, anything he's done, I love it. Um, But we'll we'll talk a bit more about Mark McDonough and we'll talk about Banshees of Inisherin 2, which is a film which seems positioned to be something we'll be talking about in the months ahead as well. It would be very surprising if this is not a multiple, multiple Oscar nominee film at this point. 
um, based on its critical reception, based on audience response, and I also even think based on at least one of the performers, if not a couple. I think there'll be real good vibes and energy that will bring this to a place where, I don't know, it'll be in a race long enough to get picked apart eventually. Um, but Andrew, you took yourself out to a theater. I'd seen it a couple of times. It was released just a little bit earlier in this part of the world. And you got the chance then to go and soak up this piece of fictionalized Ireland, which for a brief explainer on that, um, Inisharan, not a real place. Uh, the film was shot between Ackle Island, which is just off the coast of Mayo, and the Aran Islands, which are just off the coast of Galway. And the Aran Islands are a series of tree islands, uh, Inishmore, Inishman, and Inishirin, or sorry, Inishir, I should say, um, which is clearly where the name for this came from. Um, in it, the Banshees of Inishir was the name of this project, I believe, when it was a play that was supposed to be the third part of Martin McDonough's um, Aran Islands trilogy, um, which was the Cripple of Inishman, the Lieutenant of Inishmore, and it was going to be the Banshees of Inishir. So the Banshees of Inishir, for whatever reason, not quite sure, um, became the Banshees of Inisharan for the screen. And how did you find it, Andrew? What was your what was your experience of all of this? It's set a hundred years ago, um, against the backdrop of the Irish Civil War, which we'll get into in some more detail in a while. Um but this is kind of a very stereotypical vision of Ireland at that time, but I would say written in a way and with language that also makes it fair and representative, particularly for someone living on the Aran Islands, which to this day, a pretty remote place, and not exactly a buzzing metropolis. So how did you find, first of all, I guess, being dropped into this world? Um. So being dropped into the world, obviously, is something I'm not necessarily familiar with. I haven't seen that depiction of Ireland on screen that often. Um, it, And I think coming at it from that outsider's perspective reminds me of something Brendan Gleeson's character says in In Bruges. Um, and it almost has a fairy tale fantasy land uh, quality to it as, as you're going through it. Um, that being said, I wouldn't describe it as inaccessible by any means now that's uh that may be me talking and a broader audience is who knows but um i'm a big fan of in bruges going into this i i think now i could be like lebron misremembering when i first heard migos in this uh scenario but i think i saw in bruges back when and got it as a mailer from netflix back when they did that mm. uh so i i think i'm remembering that correctly if not i've pulled a lebron so apologies there Big fan of it, but it, I think I'd only seen it twice before um, today and was able to rewatch it today. Holds up tremendously. It's one of the the, the funniest movies uh, of of the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, and Banshees of Inish and hit me the same way. It's interesting for me seeing the Colin Farrell dynamic with Brendan Gleeson and Banshees and then going to In Bruges rather than uh, the reverse for this project. But it's uh, it's interesting. I think... I this movie was set up for me to love it though. Like this type of movie 
Uh, I love words. You know, I love characters hashing out their their differences uh, with nice language and snappy dialogue and a script that moves things along well, uh, but in a way that you know feels correct to the story. And this is, uh, it gets heightened and absurd as the plot goes on, but everything feels it feels true to this isolated world that um we're brought to and so movies like that obviously beautifully shot um who was the um ben davis cinematography set against the backdrop of colin farrell and brendan gleason going toe-to-toe again great performances from gary condon and barry keown i mean uh a movie about existential dread uh this was basically like a movie about both sides of my brain uh battling it out with one another um the the side of what have I done with my lifetime is running out. I need to do something that matters. And the one that's just like, I really just want to be nice to people. Those are the two sides of my brain that can consistently uh, duke it out on a daily basis. So this movie was, (laughs) was that and just incredibly funny again, like in Bruges that uh, acerbic, just biting wit to the script, uh, some laugh out loud moments. There were a couple times in this, in the sparsely attended theater that I was laughing at something uh, while there was met with silence elsewhere in the room. Uh, but overall, just an incredibly great movie going experience for me. And uh, it was one of the it, I think I'd seen the trailer too many times, though, is one issue because it was it was pretty much exactly what I expected it to be. Whereas mm-hmm. another movie I saw last week, uh, I went into it knowing nothing. And it kind of just bowled me over because of the uh, the surprise element to it. But overall, I think this is going to be in contention for one of my favorite movies of the year. It's right up there with another one that I aforementioned when I saw last week. And um, I agree that I think it's, it's, it's going to get, I think it's definitely going to get a screenplay nomination. I think it's definitely going to get a best picture nomination. Um, I don't know who you were thinking of as uh, the squeaky wheel. That's going to get the grease in terms of uh, acting. Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell for sure is good. I mean, if he, I think, believe is currently seen as the favorite to win. I don't know if that will play out, but I think he'll be right at the forefront of that race. Um, I'm going to be banging the Barry Kia best supporting actor drum as loud as I can when it gets to that point, but I think it might be a long shot. I don't know if you tell me. I think that one's tough because I don't think they'll get two nominations in that category and Brandon Gleason could get that one. So that's that's going to be tricky. I think Kerry Conlon may be a lock for best supporting it's, it's, nomination. It's like when it's like when the Bucks get down to the end of the season and you're wondering who's going to get MVP and Brooks going to be taking away votes from Giannis <laughs> is kind of like the issue that you have there. But Martin McDonough, like despite loving in Bruges, uh, if, if prior to this, if someone was like Andrew named 20 directors, he probably would not have come up in that conversation. Uh, Seven Psychopaths, uh, I've not seen since it came out. 10 Is this years like ago. a Billy Eichner situation? Andrew named 20 directors? Yeah, exactly. He probably wouldn't have come up. The uh, TikTok Seven series you could start? I mean, I'm open to any and all ideas <laughs> for content just to, to kind of, you know, really help us grow in the uh, cruising for a bruising off season. But Seven Psychopaths, I remember liking it. I haven't seen it since. I have no idea. I think it, it, tried, it tried to replicate the. Uh, the vibe of in Bruges way less successfully. It's almost like a, if I'm remembering correctly, it's almost trying to like be a oceans 11 plus in Bruges type of uh, criminal. Underworld I, would, thing. I would say oceans 12 
uh, specifically okay. for it's it's trying its best to do something that is akin to the Julia Roberts as Julia Roberts, um, which Ocean's Twelve. It's really weirdly meta. I think he just kind of was failing himself a little bit and bit off more than he can chew with that. Like there's some good stuff in there, but it's also just kind of a mess because it's doing so much. F- some really strong scenes, um, but as a whole, doesn't really work. Uh, I uh, I hated Tree Billboards. I don't know if you want to speak to your feelings on Tree Billboards I, too. I do want to speak to that because maybe my feeling was like you came to my home state and you made a dog shit movie about Missouri. Uh my least favorite Sam Rockwell performance ever. My least favorite Francis McDormand uh, performance ever. A movie I just did re- really didn't like. Uh, I, I don't know. There's there's the bleakness of his worldview that comes across in a lot of his movies, but there was also something I don't know weird about the redemptive arc it tried to create that just did not work for me at all. I think the the tone was just less successful than the ones that I'm really drawn to. So did you know McDonough now? after having seen Banshees and in Bruges, just two home runs, a strikeout, and a single for me in the ones I've seen. So Martin McDonough is what he, I believe, describes himself as London Irish, which is not an entirely unpopular or uncommon term, uh, which is he was born in London to Irish parents, spent a lot of his time early in his life traveling back and forth, along with his brother, must be noted, John Michael McDonough, who's also a filmmaker, um, to Ireland, specifically to the west of Ireland, where family still lived. And he very much still leans on and connects with his Irish heritage. Um, I think in... I watched Seven Psychopaths for the first time in the end this. I didn't really watch Three Billboards, but I thought about it. I think his worldview is painfully cripplingly dark there is something authentic about like really dry pitch back pitch black irish humor that when he writes that in an irish setting and it comes out of an irish character's voice to me even as an irishman feels much more authentic and much more real and much more funny because there is i don't know how do i psychoanalyze my uh my entire nation of people there there is something very real about that sense of humor and the ability for i think irish people to say really dark or deeply hurtful things to each other and just kind of brush them off in a way that doesn't carry the same weight um in a way that is much more common and everyday and that feels different when transported to America. Like I, I found three billboards to be pretty nasty, but in a way where I didn't find the redemption. And I am interested generally, particularly even going back and watching some of his other stuff, even in Bruges. I think there's a lot of language in Martin McDonough's films, which is going to immediately irk a lot of viewers. Um, a lot of language that we don't see very often in cinema in 2022 and really we shouldn't uh, and on plenty of occasions it's just kind of unnecessary that is absent from Banshees of Inner Sharon which I found interesting Um, as much as there are kind of plenty of deeply dark bits and pieces in there this is not 
set up to be a lightning rod for criticism in the same kind of ways the three billboards ended up being. I really would struggle to imagine that that isn't some sort of conscious decision. And I, I think this film is certainly richer for it. And a lot of that, I guess, also, I don't don't really see the place for it in a 1920s set Irish film. It it doesn't it doesn't really work in the same way as some of his his other works. But that I think and doing a period piece for his period piece he's he's worked on as a filmmaker, I think has freed him up and given him something that I don't know. I think it's his best film. I like in Bruges more. I think in Bruges is shooting more for straight comedy when it's really going there. Not to say that in Bruges isn't deeply, deeply dark. Um, and I kind of marvel at in Bruges because for me anyway, there are not very many funny films of the past 20 plus years. And he made a really funny film um, that is straight out of comedy, but is also overflowing with ideas and isn't afraid to really push the audience to places that they may not have expected for that. That is here too, but I thought to a pretty mild level. Um, I Speak to me about your theater experience because I hadn't considered that. So what sort, what sort of size crowd are we talking first of all? Are there many people there? I, and if so, you said there were probably times when you were laughing where others weren't. Do you have any feeling for maybe why that is? Whether that's just some of the darkness speaking more to your sense of humor? Like, is it when it gets really pitch black comedy that you feel like didn't um, land necessarily I, with everyone in the same way? Or or what is it? Uh, one of the instances uh, came at the second throw at the door, we'll call it, to avoid spoilers, where that happens and I'm just laughing at it. Some of it, I think, so we've got another lone person and then two, like, a family of four that are older, so, like, adult kid, elderly parents, uh, and, like, spouse or whatever it may be, and then adult kid, elderly parents. And those were the groups that were scattered across um, the probably 100-seat uh, auditorium. Uh, there's a, There are also instances, I think, when people probably couldn't understand what Barry Keown was saying uh, <laughs> that that I managed to grab somehow and 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 cackle at but uh i don't know i think the darkness of the humor um might not translate to everybody but actually you know what i don't know it's it's i just think it's i think it's the funniest movie i've seen it this year um i'm struggling to think to think of another one and even some of the comedies i've seen that i did not like like the one with channing tatum and sandra bullock um yeah, so I don't know. Maybe it, maybe if you, I think if you've seen In Bruges, it's gonna land with you a hundred percent. If you saw and liked In Bruges, uh, if not, and this is just your first experience with this kind of movie, I would be interested to, you know, the TikTok account, Adam. I would be interested to stand outside of a theater and just get people's takes, just like general Friday night movie going crowd going to see the Banshees of Inisherin. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I'm, I, I would say I've seen it twice in cinemas here and I think pretty different experiences. Uh, first time the crowds was pretty packed and skewed much older, I would say, than I expected. And I don't think it sat well with some of those people who, I mean, I know Colin Farrell is a big deal everywhere. I don't think Brendan Gleeson it is. I know he just hosted SNL, but it felt like a lot of the response to that was, why is Brendan Gleeson hosting SNL? Like, if it, it seemed to be received as something pretty random. Um, Brendan Gleeson is a massive, massive deal here. Like, Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell together in a movie here brings in, at this point, an audience that it wouldn't have brought in at the time of In Bruges. And... I mean, they've actually depressed her globally for this film. It's been pretty, like, insatiable. And going back quite a while, I mentioned SNL, but I've seen them, like, clips of them. Seth Meyers, Jimmy Kimmel. Seth Meyers, Jimmy Kimmel, multiple U.S. talk shows. Um, They definitely did some major kind of appearances in the U.K. and Ireland, too. And, yeah, there's an element of that. I think there's a... You know this because you've spoken to me about it and I've explained it to you before. Irish people are very sensitive as to how they're portrayed on screen. And the reason for that is one, there's a Disney-fied version of Ireland, and particularly honestly, the West Coast of Ireland and the kind of Ireland that is portrayed in this film, which is like the Darby O'Gill and the Little People and even some of kind of John Ford's Quiet Man there's just there's a vision of Ireland that I think was one of the main 
vehicles for Americans and maybe even some Irish Americans to establish a view of what Ireland looks like, what people are like, what they sound like. Um, it's where like top of the morning to you comes from, which is not a thing that real Irish people say. I believe there might be some corners of the country where that is said. You see that sometimes suggested, but that is not something any Irish person really says or has ever said like in volume so there was always a, a version of Ireland that's painted like that um, the other part of it is obviously there's a lot of occasions where Ireland is just a, a stand in for Britain in a lot of people in a global senses kind of view of the world and Irish actors will be mistaken for British actors and that brings extra baggage and it brings an extra sense of pride when something is Irish on screen which is, I guess, factors in some of what I talk about, where you'll get a crowd at a movie like this that are maybe not even moviegoers, but they're like, okay, I really like those two actors. Like, I'm proud that they represent this country, which, again, is something that happens when you're a really small country. Um, we take great pride in Irish people who are successful around the world, probably with the exception of you 2 who a lot of people really strongly dislike. That's the conversation for another time, though. Um and it brings out interesting reactions. And the first screening I was at, I was laughing very hard. There were definitely other people who were laughing, but there would be a lot of people who came out of that completely baffled by it. Um, and I would say probably pretty appalled at this representation of like some idea of Irishness. Second screening I was at, which was later in the evening, would have trended younger and was in its second week as opposed to its first week, was everyone laughing in sync. Uh, a very kind of knowing laugh. And I, I'm i really kind of, part of why I ask you that and part of why you want to unpack the reaction that I experienced people around me is I think this is a really, really interesting film because you mentioned like there was no obstacles to it being accessible. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's ultra accessible which is kind of fascinating to me because for an Irish audience, it is deeply layered and deeply specific. And the whole, I mean, subtext of the film isn't the subtext for an Irish viewer. Uh, and that gets to the civil war of it all, um, where for anyone anywhere else in the world, you don't have to know anything about that. You could take the film like just as it is. And it works just as well just 100 as well there's nothing really lacking there that's a really tough act to pull off that something is going to be elevated because of the, spe the specificity in one place and yet it's not going to lose anything everywhere else without that extra layer there it's something i've been thinking about quite a lot since seeing it but it's I don't know. Maybe it's because this is a film about Ireland. I can identify that. And there's lots of films where I've watched and I love them. And I don't know, a Korean person or a Japanese person could say, oh, well, this also works on this level here. And that makes it something even greater. Um, but I've been really interested in that because I'm so, so impressed. It's just, it's very, very difficult to imagine that pulling off. So I guess before we go into further, I, sh I should probably go through some of that just so that you have a sense of so other people listening. So you hear, you hear mention throughout the film, like two or three times there's mention of the Irish Civil War. I think on two occasions you hear kind of explosions or gunshots 
in the distance as they look across to the mainland as it is. Um, where were you at? Uh, this is not a trick question. I don't need you to come up with something really incisive and deeply profound because I know you have no reason to know about any of this. But like, where were you at with all of that? With that as a backdrop to the film or just an element there? Did you give any thought to it in the moment really? Or was it just kind of something that pops up a couple of times? Um, no, I, that that was definitely on my mind. Not that I know a single thing like directly about what that particular, the context of that fighting was and the result of it. But I mean, it's the obvious subtext and the direct comparison between uh, these two gentlemen battling and a, a friendship eroding and, you know, juxtaposing that with a war. So I think that's definitely on your mind the entire time. And I think just it, with that broad strokes reading, I think is what makes uh kind of just that okay to the American audience that might not have an exact knowledge of what that war was about. Yeah. And I figured that that much is apparent. And again, that's enough for it to work and to work really well. I guess the thing that's kind of, it's not unique, but it is maybe more unusual even than some other civil wars um, about the Irish Civil War is just how bitter it was because of how, because of how it was dividing people who were, you know, fighting for the same cause right up into that. And how it was also dividing people in the same household best friends would be very very common so this is certainly getting at that there's nothing remotely coincidental about where this film is placed timing wise so the Irish Civil War came about because after uh, centuries of attempted and easily suppressed and failed uprisings and rebellions in 1916 there was a rising um, mostly centered around Dublin but also in a multiple other kind of key places around the country that left a larger impact. It was a very small group of rebels who were deeply unpopular at the time for doing something so disruptive to everyone's day-to-day -day life. And in theory, they should have been wiped out very easily in a very short space of time, but they weren't. They held out a little bit longer. They took key positions, a British rule around Dublin, and they put something concrete there towards the foundation of a republic. Uh, Park Pierce, one of the, the key kind of figures of Irish history, famously stood at the steps of uh, what to this day is still the General Post Office building on the main street in Dublin, and he read um, our Proclamation of Independence. Uh, it was not a proclamation of independence as those things often tend to be, which is something that you can just kind of put in law and it's like, oh, we're a republic now. Um, but it was something that had a, a deep meaning. It was a statement of intent as such. And coming out of that rising, when the British ultimately very literally brought in the heavy artillery and shelled Dublin and gathered up all of these revolutionary figures, they made a really massive mistake um, that to this day has colossal implications for what life is like on this island, which is instead of just gathering up the leaders of the, the 1916 Rising and sending them off to prison, they decided to execute a number of them, which made martyrs out of them, turned public sentiment entirely and created a greater sense of revolution, setting Ireland on the way to independence. 
And by the time 1919 came around, some of the key figures who were involved in the rising, who were survivors, were given the opportunity to go to the UK to negotiate what would become the Anglo-Irish Treaty. And what was negotiated was dominion status. So for Ireland to be like Canada or Australia, but it would require that Irish people and the House of Irish government there would still be a need to pro proclaim allegiance or swear allegiance to the king. Um, and Ireland would become the Irish free state as opposed to the Republic, which had already been proclaimed by um, the rebels in the first place. So when this treaty was signed and the delegation returned from London, this caused a schism which essentially sets two sides of the Irish Civil War. So you had a pro-treaty and the anti-treaty side, the Irish Free State, and the Irish Republican Army, or IRA. I don't want people who aren't familiar with Irish history to get too bogged down on that, because you're probably thinking of the very different IRA. There have been multiple IRAs serving different purposes. Um, you know, maybe one goal in a vague sense, but lots of other stuff tangled up in that. And so that's where this film comes in. You have that war playing out. Um, not the longest war, not the bloodiest war, but a war that is very often kind of turned to and written about and kind of analyzed even in a historical sense because of how kind of tribal and parochial it was and because of the nature of, like, for Ireland, one clear enemy for a very long time with all these people united and fighting against it and all of a sudden the speed with which they were forced to turn upon themselves and people who fought arm in arm were very much enemies so I guess that's the the very 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 basic breakdown of the Irish Civil War as the backdrop but I think the thing that's important to for people to know is it is famously still this day talked about as a war that split households where brothers ended up fighting brothers, which is really what this film is getting at. Because to get to the Banshees of Inish Aaron, for anyone who's even seen the trailer, you'll know this much. The the core kind of story behind the film um, centers around two characters, uh, Parik Sullivan, played by Colin Farrell, and uh, Colm Sonny Larry or Colm Doherty played by Brendan Gleeson. And on this little island off the west coast of Ireland where there's not a whole lot to do for, it seems like, a very long time, the routine that these men had in going about their day-to-day -day life is at 2 p.m. Park would come, he'd knock on Colm's door and they would go to the local pub together and they would sit and they would drink their pints of Guinness and that's how they'd spend their time. They'd drink and they'd chat. They'd go home and they'd go about it again the next day. And as the film begins, we have a day where everything changes, where Colm tells Porrick very simply, I don't like you anymore. And refuses to spend time with him, refuses to go to the pub with him. When he goes to the pub, he won't sit with him. He'll take his drink outside. And it eventually escalates to the point where Colm says... If you don't leave me alone, every time you bother me, I'm going to take one of my fingers off. That's the setup for the movie. That's the stuff that's in the trailer. Um, 
And there's so much of it that is kind of so simple in a way that I, I guess people are certainly aware Ireland has a very rich storytelling tradition and um, which goes beyond like playwrights and poets of the last 100 to 200 years where people would often associate that with. Um, but going back through obviously a really rich history of Irish myth and folklore um, to times where there were figures called Shanachies who would have traveled from town to town as storytellers. It's something that's kind of deeply ingrained in Irish culture. And there are a lot of these stories that are almost similar to like parables or Greek myths, which I really felt in the kind of structure and in the kind of absurdist but large and violent stakes of this film. There's a lot of that in kind of classic Irish storytelling that comes to the fore here. So I think you've got a lot of that infused in with the Civil War backdrop. And the one other thing I'll say on the Civil War backdrop, you and I have talked on this podcast, oh, I don't know how many times, we've often kind of turned our nose up at the idea of films that feel like they're plays and someone's just turned a camera on and they're filming a play. I found the Civil War to be really interesting because from a like from an aural sense, from the audio we're hearing of these gunshots and they look off the distance, it entirely felt like something designed for stage. And yet it worked because they're on this isolated island for it to just be something you're seeing off on the horizon. But there was something very stagey about that. And it worked in a way it doesn't normally, which I tip my hat to Martin McDonough and I guess that comes to his knowledge of the stage and maybe understanding, okay, well, here's how I can use that one thing to feed into this thing. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of kind of interesting baggage. I think that plays into this from an Irish perspective. Um, there are some other things that are more dubious and questionable, which is look, it's because it's in a share and it's a fictional Island. There's a very important character in this film who's a policeman. Policeman is a tricky one at that time during the Civil War because what became our police force in its current form doesn't exist yet. Um, the previous form, don't know how welcome he would just be to be chilling out on the islands during the Civil War. And at that point, I, that's something I know there have been some minor grumbles in this part of the world, but like, you know, it's a movie forget these things but in terms of like the very real and grounded whether it's from irish literature and i mean going centuries back or from the history that's built around it there's a lot of added layers to this film and yet it's like i don't know it, it kind of floats along kind of weightlessly it doesn't feel like it's carrying that baggage and i felt that watching it and then once I came out, I was like, I'd already seen like reviews. I'd seen where it's letterbox reviews from festivals. I'd seen lots of American critics loving this movie. I was like, oh, so it must just move equally as weightlessly for people who don't know all of that. And I just, again, I think that's such a tough balance and it's something I really admire about it. Yeah, I think um, the the themes that play separate from that as the backdrop are strong enough to where I think any audience can, can kind of get 
get the idea and be all in with it. And obviously the performances are uh, part of that as well. Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, all great. Carrie Condon, I'll mention her again because she's fantastic. And I love her role in the story as well because I think she's someone who silently is fully understanding of where Colin's coming from. Um, and the this, I think the backdrop of the war and the shots that we see off in the distance or the ships coming in for a Sunday church service or whatever it may be, um, one of the other key important aspects of, I think, uh, raising the stakes in a situation where it seems like the stakes are actually so low because, like, why why are you going to these like these links uh, to get your friend to stay away from you. But the isolation uh, on the Island and just the fact that this is, this is their life. They, you know, uh, not the pronunciation here. What it, is it? Porig? <laughs> it almost sounds like it's, it's Porig. I mean, that okay. is a name to this day, which depending on the person, they might pronounce it. Podrick, uh, Podrick Harrington, the golfer, for example, or Porik. Um, but in the film, it, it is Porik that he's referred to. So Porik Sullivan, which is Patrick Sullivan in Gaelic. So, oh, great! I learned something. Um, you know, he tends to his farm animals. He hangs out with his his pony. He delivers the milk to the lady who wants all the gossip and will talk down to you if you don't have any gossip for. Her. <laughs> uh, and then he goes to the pub with his friend, and he's content to do that. And that's the life he wants to live, and he's happy with it. And then. So the the, the small I think the the scenery first of all and just the way everything is shot really drives home that sense of despair because you talk about you know people talk about looking up at the night sky and they feel really small in the world and I think uh, especially Colum as he's you know trying to figure out a way for him to be remembered and like what is his life become he knows like i mean he's an he's an older guy uh Porik is uh, a little bit younger he doesn't you know have to concern himself with these thoughts about his own mortality and i think that sense of death hanging around the film um is really important juxtaposed obviously with the literal death that's going on in a war um is really strong just like the yearning for something more is something that any viewer can relate to and you know unless you've just bought twitter or something and you know you're uh you're really really going places um and, and i love uh i love the layers to the relationships in this film as well um because pork uh, is just absolutely crestfallen that colin doesn't want to do anything to do with him anymore uh you know is, is he really that dull i'm nice i'm not dull i'm nice uh meanwhile uh dominic who is the deeply troubled jester of the island is not quite he's not taking it to quite the same links because he'll spend time with him but he dismisses his dismisses him as a dull idiot and just like the the layers for all the mistreatment and just the the sadness uh that the people in this community uh just have differing levels of respect for one another and just the the way the stakes keep being raised every single time uh column takes it to the next level um it's just really uh depressing but the the wit and the humor throughout makes it like a really good time as well but to your your point it's set against the backdrop of a deeply troubling time in in ireland itself yeah and there, I, there's something interesting too about island life but i don't mean island life like the island life i live i mean island life in like an island this tiny like so for example 
I believe the real life in Ashir has fewer than 300 inhabitants. So you're, you're talking really tiny populations. And life on the mainland is very, very different. Like it was at that time, it would be even more so now, where I do think like part of what's here, and I think something I was wondering, even if it's just for like, again, if it's international audiences, are you going to think of like, why don't the park just, you know, go to the mainland? What's what's with that? Why don't why are all these people staying out here on this tiny little island that has one shop and it has one pub and like a priest has to come in by boat to say mass? Like what why are they staying there? I just think it is so kind of different and there would be an element of culture shock that it is something where a lot of people will just they kind of get born into and they do stick with if they can. Um and there is some push and pull of that kind of too in the film. Um, also playing into, I guess, who are the characters like Siobhan is the smartest character in the movie. And it's not even close. Um, we get a nice little illustration of that when Colm is telling everyone who will listen everything he knows about Mozart and Beethoven and all of these great musicians. Yet he gets the centuries wrong for, for when Mozart was active and it's uh, Siobhan who corrects him on that. But even with that, if you want to put those two, it's slightly different to certainly um, the Porix and the Dominics of this story. They're reaching for something different. So, Column is drafting in musicians from the mainland to come and collaborate with him and to come and kind of hold court with him. Um, and Siobhan, in her own way, obviously, the mainland calls to her, and clearly, she has her own ambitions that are pointing to something which is a very different life. So, uh, there is something fascinating, like to me, I've never, I've never been to any of the Iron Islands, I've never been to Ackle Island, the other island this is shot on over on the west coast of Ireland. But there is something that to me that has always been very fascinating about those islands, in part because I just can't possibly comprehend it. And I'm sure there's an element of that where if you live on those islands and that's what you know, you can't comprehend going and living like in a town, let alone a city. Um, just across the water. Yeah, and I mean, if Colum, if Colum really wanted to solve his problem, he would just go try to make a go of it as a musician on the mainland. Yeah, but he wouldn't bring the musicians he, to him. He'd go to them. He's he's insecure because he thinks of himself as above the people in that community, and like I'm smarter than Porik, I'm smarter than Dominic. I'm I'm like the I'm the thinker. I'm the intellectual here, and despite being uh, pushed against that like existential dread that he feels hanging over him. He, he's not taking any action to do anything about it, except trying to make himself feel something by uh, mentally tormenting, tormenting his former best friend. It speaks to his insecurity and also it speaks to the point that he might just be having a full on mental breakdown and not be able to uh, coherently deal with his own depression which is sad it's another like a, another area of darkness hanging over all of this film that the man's literally cutting his fingers off rather than uh taking action to like live out the rest of his days in a way that he feels meaningful also he might to an extent feel like that, that insecurity is there he doesn't want to leave but he might feel like uh to an extent that 
island or where he lives in that community is a little bit of his creative muse. I mean, he titles the song the band She's a Minishir. And so who knows? There's a lot at play. He's going through a time. And I think Brendan Gleeson plays the nuances of that performance so well because it's unhinged, but it's also really restrained. It's where you're you're like, why are you doing this? But then it's just I don't know. He seems so normal and nonplussed about the whole thing until we get to uh, the very end when I think he he begins to realize the absurdity of what he's doing. Well, he's also just bored. Yeah, like, and I, he he kind of addresses that, and that's put to him at some point. But it's he's very clearly bored. I mean, the scene that gives that away is when Pora confronts him in front of everyone in the pub in very loud and animated fashion. And after Pork has left, uh, Kong remarks, that's, that's the most interesting he's been in years. I think I like him again, which it, it does really feel like. And the films play with that. There's obviously more to it than that. The story certainly takes us to places where shows there's more than that. But he's, he's bored. He's looking for something to, uh, I guess, stimulate him intellectually as much as anything. And there is some feeling of a challenge. And there's also there's other interesting elements of that in terms of yeah he wants to go and make his music but also does he really want to be able to make music um he says I think some interesting he wants things. an excuse for why he can't as well yeah that's certainly an element that's there and look like we've touched on all of the elements of this that are rooted in Irish history or Irish myth or folklore. Uh, let's not look past the fact that this is a film about like a, a writer or an artist who struggles with the process of making art. Um, like this is very autobiographical too, and I guess Martin McDonough grappling with the idea of what you give of yourself every time you try to create art. Uh, in doing press for his film, I've already read he was really good interview with him in the guardian i've heard him on a few different podcasts and he's like yeah i i want to make more movies and i am at a point in my life where i'm like i don't really want to be doing one movie every five years because that feels like a waste in its own right and he's also been open about the fact that's why he's moved away from the stage because if he's to write plays and by the time they say play on Broadway and they play in the West End and they tour wherever else they might go you're again you're looking at five years if not more and part of the point he's made which I don't know there's there's definitely some ego attached to but I also I get it as someone who's very much cinema centric rather than someone who's like lovers of the theater he's been pretty open about he just doesn't like the fact that you put five years of your life in something and it's gone you know uh, it's just not there. There isn't a record of it, which it's traditionally like painted as part of the appeal of theater. But if I want to go and see the cripple of Inish Man, I mean, I can't go back to 1996. So I can't see an original production of that play. It's gone. Um, where McDonough's very much the opinion now, well, if he makes a movie, he gets to channel a lot of those same energies. He gets to make something, but it's there and he, there's a legacy to it. And there's a legacy to him which is also part of what he's wrestling with. And maybe that's too for Colm. Like, I don't know. And I've seen other people talk about this, whether the Banshees of Inish Aaron is supposed to be a good song. Like, I really don't know. It does not, it does not sound like a good song. As 
I am not someone who is deeply versed in traditional Irish music, but I have heard a lot of it in my lifetime. I'll know bits and pieces. It does not sound particularly good or revelatory. Um, some of the what are essentially jam sessions he has with our musicians at the pub are a lot better. Um, yeah. So what happens when you inject the Bowron in there. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bowron. The Bowron is... Uh, is that the little the, thing? It's the, it, it's the drum. It's like the traditional yeah, yeah, handheld yeah. drum um, with the stick. Like, part of it, I wonder, is does the Banshees of Inisherin by the end of this film because of what plays out? Like, is that a is that a better song because there's a there's a myth to it? There's a myth making around it. There's a myth making around Column as an artist. Like, well, I, I think can there's tell you a lot. Who's never playing it again? <laughs> yeah. Well, even there's that there's that line which is just I don't know I haven't fully wrapped my head around there's lots of parts of this film where I'm like I really like that but I I mean I could read it in multiple different ways but where he he tells Porrick that he keeps kind of fantasizing about playing it at his funeral <laughs> which is just yeah. a tremendous thing to say so to write a song and be like yeah I'm just I keep thinking about playing at your funeral Particularly with given the dynamic here, uh, I I don't know what the age difference is supposedly between them in the film, but there is visibly an age difference for Colin Farrell's younger. So, um, yeah, that's that's interesting too. I I think it's a pretty rich text though, and that's I really like that about it. It feels very like worn the whole island, which again is impressive because. They're combining multiple real life islands. The pub was not a real pub at all. They built it especially for the film, and because they had no planning permission, they had to demolish it as soon as they finished. Um, but everything from the shop to the pub all feels very real, very kind of grounded. Great production design in this movie. Um, in particular, I think of kind of craft elements beyond the camera. I, th- I thought the production design was great, but that is something and also i mean part of it is like part of the props you've got literal props then you've got all of these other kind of characters like dominic is kind of that but he goes one level beyond that certainly the the shopkeeper who's kind of opening everyone's mail as it comes in and just looking for every piece of gossip she can possibly get from anyone uh that's kind of in its own way like great set dressing and just kind of building out this world and helping us understand what life in the island is like uh in particular so the landlord in the pub behind the bar and the i guess the regular customer who's propped by the bar with him they're two very well-known irish comedians pat short and john kenny who have in more recent years, kind of made their living off making really terrible, uh, like rural Irish sitcom stuff, which uh, it's not good. It's really not good, Andrew. Um, I don't did you when we did a Lenny Abramson pod way back. Did you watch Garage? Uh, I don't think I did. Pat Short is the Maybe lead I... in Garage, and he's actually very good in it, and has definitely got the ability to do some really serious acting those two characters though are really really funny as the like one two punch and it's often who whenever there's been some sort of confrontation between park and colin park will 
turn to uh, I think it's John Joe Devine is the because I think it's JJ Devine's over the door um, and Jerry is what I believe John Kenny's character is who'll be perched at the bar and he'll turn to them and he kind of play off them and it's like you know I thought it was nice which is the the kind of the running the running motif in the film too is like because part of like is niceness is niceness worth anything I, I don't know what Martin McDonough Based on his films, I don't know how much stock I would have put in niceness from his perspective going into this. And this film doesn't make me believe a whole lot more than that. I will say, I do know people, and I'm not saying this with like a specific person who's in my life in mind, in part because I probably just feel like, not for me, I'll move past that. But I have come across people who you will just be like, unbelievably nice, but pretty dull. <laughs> you know not a lot not a lot to offer and i have been that person who uh i haven't you know chopped off my fingers and thrown them at them but i will just be like yeah not for me let's just kind of let's keep that at arm's length or let's move on entirely is there any part of that that you related to that kind of idea i think uh, there's credence to both ideologies and a mix of the two is probably what's you know best for society at large that you try and uh uh strive to do a there's B. A... I mean, that's I what I said. Say, I said there's... it was. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's just there's an adjective, right? That would be used in <laughs> if a conversation came up in Ireland about someone who was a bit like Pork, and people are like, "Oh, he's yeah, you know, he's really boring, or he's not the brightest." What's what do you why do you want to talk to him? The adjective that would often be used is "ah, but he's harmless," which I do think would be the perfect descriptor for that character. And I think that is part of the subversion at hand in the movie. I don't believe that's a phrase. Would you call someone harmless in the US? We would, but what we would, but what we would say is in the South, bless bless their heart is what you yeah, say. Okay, like, okay, yeah. Which There's is an the trans for sure. The the like direct translation would be, Oh, that sweet little idiot would kind of be the yeah. So we're aligned there, but yeah, that's uh that resonates strongly. <laughs> Are there any other elements of this film or whether it's particular lines or scenes or characters? Like, do you want to dive into any of the other characters specifically or even anything that you saw in either of the lead performances either? What else have we not touched on that you think we should dive into? I think the recurring bits and one-liners are are very effective. The Maybe he don't like you anymore and him flat out saying, I just don't like like you anymore are you rowing i don't think we're rowing. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It feels like we're rowing that that recurring bit is great um <clears throat> i think uh the lead performances are both very strong it's it's and it's you see some of the the chemistry and the rate of relatability between characters that was in in bruges but it takes it in a different direction because in in bruges colin farrell's kind of this brutish loudmouth idiot where in this one like you said he's he's a harmless kind idiot and brendan gleason uh, it's much more hopeful and in bruges but there there's a degree of the so it's funny taking that that chemistry and that uh, like two-man rapport and it kind of making you feel the same way you felt while you're watching it the first time but they also it's completely different and i think these two 
these four performances, we'll call it, will stand on their own, uh, despite being probably exactly what you wanted from, oh, Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell are reuniting. I mean, I think both performances are tremendous. If either one of them wins an award, I think it's perfect. Barry Keown um, is one of the more fascinating actors working today. I mean, just he he makes choices and he commits to it and uh, he goes for it. We get the little bit of him as the Joker and the Batman recently. And then, uh, I mean, Killing of a Sacred Deer, him and Colin Farrell t- together. Uh, uh, that movie is, is that uh, Yorgos Lanthimos? Uh, That's right. That, who directed yeah. that? Perfect. Uh, like, I mean, he's really going for it there. I think this steers into a little more of a uh, innocent version of what he was going for in The Green Knight, where he was kind of uh, really going for it as well. I love his performance in that and kind of a smaller role. Uh, Carrie Condon, who is someone that I'm sure I've seen in things uh, uh, before, but just couldn't remember any performances that stand out. I thought she's tremendous as Siobhan um, uh, Porrick's sister. And like you said, the smartest person in the film and also the most emotionally intelligent person in the film because she she is she's the middle ground that I'm talking about in uh, kindness versus ambition because she is an incredibly t- kind person, deals with her dull brother and his absurd former best friend, deals with Dominic uh, making advances towards her and handles it in a very mature and uh, positive way, although it wouldn't necessarily end that way, unfortunately. Um, uh, and then she is like, all right, I see the opportunity to, to get out and I'm going to do it because this is what I need to do for myself. I think she's great. The scene where she's chastising Dominic at the dinner table uh, when he's asking her if she's ever been wild. Uh, well, I think was the word <laughs> he was using, if that's if that's right. Uh, that's right. And, and she just erupts at him. <laughs> Tremendous report, uh, performance from her. The, all the guys at the bar, uh, the bartender, yeah. uh, the guy who is like, I'm is he like the bartender's column like they're their buddies they're bros yeah yeah that's I, and that that's who I was talking about so that's that's Pat Short and John Kenny who would be a comedic double act of sorts like an established so there is a there is an extra layer to them being there mm. for an Irish audience too uh, as I said for me seeing them is not something where I'm like oh great it's them but uh, the dialogue is strong enough that you're playing with something completely different and I thought they were both absolutely fantastic in those roles Adam, I'm a person who loves a dingy pub as much as anyone in in the world. As soon as I, I, as soon as I shit you not, as soon as I got out of this movie, me and Sarah were meeting for dinner in downtown Durham. I I, I think I, I didn't even think about doing it. I think it was just instinctual. I walked directly to the Irish pub and ordered a pint, and sat down. I think it just got so ingrained within me that I need to age into a guy. That's playing a violin uh, in the middle of a <laughs> pub and singing songs. My songs may be more in the you know the bluegrass realm because that you know that'll that'll work for my voice if I have to you know sing a number. Uh, but yeah, the I guess the set design that'll trans uh, transition yeah, into yeah. that. Like both of their houses are just so unique and interesting, and we have uh, the like the things on the wall that Colin's house. That's that's some really like heavy lifting character work too, because when we talk yeah. about obviously what, what he wants to do and what his ideals are and kind of his vision of himself. I don't know where he's been or what he's been doing to have collected some of the artifacts that it seems like he's collected for someone who lives on a small island off the coast of Ireland in nineteen twenty three. Like 
even his absolutely massive gramophone like don't think that was just like in the the shop on the island so that even leads you to view Colm as someone who probably has been around and has seen more of the world um than certainly than Porik or than maybe a lot of the people there which is part of I guess what could spur this feeling of I just can't waste my time with these people anymore I know there's more out there I know there's more that can be done uh yeah the and I think the, the simplicity of uh Porik and Siobhan's uh, house also kind of accomplishes those same goals although she does have a lot of books because she likes to read um great animal performances Colin's oh, dog absolutely brilliant performances uh like that is the goodest boy award at the oscars is going to go to Colin's dog the uh it like i think there are certain parts in this film where i got choked up and one of them was him taking the dog with him as he was uh you know yeah, uh, it was spoilers, spoilers. Because be, we're being, we're, ta- being, we're talking being about mean. a lot of pretty significant uh, things here, but mostly Jenny they're, the, uh, they're outlined in the the trailer. Jenny the donkey steals the show. Like, yes, Jenny the very... donkey is is amazing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, a lot of great animal performances, and just uh, like I said, Ben Davis's cinematography. I mean, we something that was. Uh, I think I don't know how you felt about this, but uh, very on the nose as we get the entrance to the film or like Porik is walking through the town, I guess, to, to go see column and take him to the pub. Cause that's what they do every day. And we've got like the backdrop of the town. Things are going on around him and there's the rainbow in the corner. Um, and it just, yeah, I, I think I got very concerned at that. Well, save you. But I, by the time we got I, to the I end, was like, I was, I was, are we going to have a fucking pot of gold here? I was very, that's, I, Part of that, though, may be in knowing because it's right there at the beginning of the movie. Like, that might be Martin McDonough playing with that a little bit of like, that is again, if Disney come to make, uh, for example, there's like an Enchanted sequel out next week, uh, Disenchanted, which was shot in Ireland. They converted that the some Amy town. Adams thing. It was an Amy Adams Disney. I've never seen it. It was very, I don't think I'm the target market, Andrew, but it was very Mm -hmm. successful. And I believe pretty well acclaimed quite a long time ago. They made a sequel that here. It's now, it's not going to be set in Ireland in the film, I would imagine, but the vision of that, I mean, Amy Adams, that brings us to uh, leap year was a film that was set in Ireland, a romantic comedy. That is a source of much, much derision here. Um, Of course, there is that film that I'm now blanking on its name that you tried very hard to get me to rant about. And I think we promised that, you know, we'd. Yeah, we were going to do, do the Elegy uh, Wild Mountain Time double episode. Wild Mountain Time. That was the one. Maybe we still can't sometime. A few months from now, be, there's a down, Don't make down time. time. For this. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's very true. But like uh, that, that version of those films, for example, they would start with a rainbow. They would start with a rainbow, and that was a little concerning. For this, I was on board because I was like, okay, I know this guy is going to be a, a simple little idiot from the start. <laughs> like, this is not my introduction to him. Uh, Do you know, because you've mentioned you've mentioned Ben Davis a few times, and I actually didn't really pay any attention to who shot this film. I was not blown away by how this looks. Uh, and I think a part of that is because the landscapes are not remarkable to me that sounds maybe weird but i know that's what ireland looks like uh, I've, I've read reviews and i've heard people and they're like 
in all of this? I'm like, yeah, it does kind of look like that. There's a lot of places you can go and they look like that. Maybe done quite so much like you do if you're out on the Aran Islands or Ackle Island because you are literally, I mean, you can look out to the ultimate expanse. There's probably not too many areas of the world where you're looking out on one coast and you've got the distance from the US to Ireland um, as just this open body of water. But do you know any of Ben Davis's previous work or what he's mostly worked on, really? What he's mostly um, played his trade on over the past 10, 15 years? Uh, I actually do because I you looked it up. Cl- clearly, idiot American uh, who was taken with the scenery. Uh, so, no, I'm not. I'm not know. saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm. I'm not saying that it's like. It that just doesn't wow me because I'm like I know it looks like that, and uh, it could look more beautiful than that. But I also don't think obviously Martin McDonough does not want it to look too beautiful for this film. Um, uh, I think. Well, yeah. I'm not saying I mean, the cinematography is bad by any means. Just to be some clear. of the dark, some of the darkness of it all, though, like, uh, is really works for me. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a Marvel <laughs> Come guy. to Ireland, then. <laughs> he is a he is a Marvel guy. He is a Marvel guy, a Disney guy. Uh, but even like jumping beyond that, it's like if you go back from directly before Banshees, The Kingsman. Uh, Eternals, Cry Macho. I like how he got the Clint gig. There is interesting. Dumbo, Captain Marvel, then three billboards. Genius. Don't know what that is. Like I want to see how he shoots uh, Harry Styles. Doctor face. Strange, <laughs> Avengers: Age of Ultron, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like he's a lot of not a lot that's practical like this. Now he has been Martin McDonough's guy since Seven Psychopaths, so that's why he's here again. He doesn't do a whole lot of work like this. I believe he is also the father of um the kid who played the character was not called Jojo Rabbit, but the kid from Jojo Rabbit. Oh. Not the not the friend, but the actual lead <laughs> from that film. Um The guy that yeah. was dancing with Thomas and McKenzie. Correct. That kid, I believe, is the cinematographer's son. Um I, I think on Colin Farrell's, we're talking about Colin Farrell. Did we do a pod? We did a pod on After Yang. We did. Um, and we did, which is generally. It's it's aging well in my mind, too. We might come back to this. I'm going to rewatch it at some point soon. But uh, great year for Colin Farrell with me, anyway. Uh, two films I really liked. Yeah, and they kind of speak to the duality of him as a performer now, and yet that's even limiting it because like that's still kind of scratching the surface of what he can do and the levels at which you can push him to be a certain kind of actor. Um, Obviously he was in the, in ba- the Batman as the penguin this year too. And he was phenomenal as the penguin. Oh yeah. I for- How did I forget about that? Like, yeah. Good point. That, that was this year too. So um, he, like, he's just had this thing of becoming one of the more interesting actors and certain filmmakers have tapped into that. Yorgos Lantimos, he is, one of Yorgos Lanthimos' go-to guys at this point, and he certainly brought some of the very best of his career out. Um, I thought he was great in Widows, working with Steve McQueen. I read him in The Beguiled with Sofia Coppola. Um, so there, there is kind of a long-running thing of certain directors, and it goes back earlier in his career, too. I mean, he worked with Peter Weir. Uh, he was in Terry Gilliam's uh, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, I think, is one of the one of the three actors who replaced um, 
are two actors who replaced Heat Ledger after Heat Ledger passed away. Um, like he was in the New World with Malik. He did a Woody Allen film. He did a Miami Vice with Michael Mann. Like, there's a certain kind of director that has always gravitated towards him and pulled something from him. And yet, it does feel like he doesn't necessarily get all the credit he deserves. Uh, watching this and just watching in Bruges too, like what Martin McDonough's films are increasingly reminding me of, and there is certainly something that plays into it here which is the Carter Burwell score. I really like the score here, and it really grew on me the second time I watched it too. Do you know who Carter Burwell most readily works with? I don't. The Coen brothers. Mm. Um, he scored pretty much every Coen film in recent years that I can think of. Um, maybe even going back further. No, I mean, they're from Blood Simple. Okay, so he scored every Coen film. Um, maybe he missed one or two there kind of along the way but he's been one of the key collaborators for them that's where Martin McDonough is best it feels very close to the Coens it's maybe a touch darker I wish I could see Colin Farrell do a Coens film too now it's one thing to just generally wish that the Coens would do a film together and we get something that's exactly what the kind of magic that those two guys brought together was um Maybe it happens someday, maybe it doesn't. But when you see Colin Farrell like in this, you're like, Colin Farrell could do Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading. You know, he could do that role and probably get all the acclaim, if not even more. Like he is a force comedically. And that's even I that's think... just like that's his actual personality. Like you see him on a on a chat show of some sort, you see him doing late night. And it's like he's a naturally funny guy that people like to talk to, like to be around. And I think one of the things in his career is early on, he got kind of somewhat pigeonholed. This is not the worst thing to be pigeonholed as, but as like, oh, leading man, like A-list leading man, someone who could carry an action movie. Don't think that ever quite worked out, but he certainly got multiple shots. Like studios went back to that well, where I think in a lot of ways, his true calling was overlooked, which is his comedic chops. And it's something that McDonough taps into. It's also like Lantimos. I mean, he's playing those characters completely straight in the way that every character is in a York Lantimos film. But like the absurdism is something he is playing up for comedic effect very, very intentionally. And he's just excellent at that. And part of me coming out of this, I was like, I think he's going to go really close to best actor. Whether he wins it or not remains to be seen. I think he's going to go really close in that race. And if that's the case, like, is this is this the film he gets remembered for? It's kind of an interesting actor to think of that too. Of like, what is his what is his movie? What is the movie that people pin on him and be like the Colin Farrell movie? And it might be this, and that kind of feels right, and it also feels wrong in a way that I. I don't know. I just feel like he needs more great roles. He needs people to utilize him better so we can really continue to kind of thrive in the next level of what, or the next stages of what Colin Farrell's career will be. Well, here's the thing, and I after seeing a movie like this, I often end up on IMDb's or Wikipedia's and going through the process you just went through. Like, what did they make? What are they making? Like, like just fill in my knowledge, just refresh my memory on who this person is in their career. He's a lot younger than I remembered, but he's only forty six. Like he's got another couple of decades of being able to 
uh, get the kind of roles you're talking about. And I, I think you'll age really well into being a character actor too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, one of the things that now that you talk about the other two movies I'd forgotten about the this year's taught me is that is Colin Farrell like in my in my like stable of actors that are like if they're in something I'm in I'm gonna watch it and I think he might be I mean you mentioned Burn After Reading that's perfect because his character in In Bruges is basically a more nuanced version of Brad Pitt's character in Burn After Reading and uh, the idea of seeing him in something uh Cohen brothers is really enticing because i think he's shown the ability where he could thrive in that sort of playground um i'm assuming he's also keep sorry to cross he was also in 13 lives this year which is ron howard's uh thai cave rescue drama of that kids football team it went up i've not seen him with kind of no fanfare although quite a lot of money would have been spent on it i'm sure it's pretty solid like as what it is as a ron howard directed like true story we're pulling here it's kind of inspiration just some good filmmaking him and Viggo mortensen are the leads in it and they're they're both really good like it's just kind of watchable because of the level of acting as much as anything else i think though that's the one thing when you say like is he someone that you'll watch anything he's in i think that's part of my problem is the answer has to be no because he's got He's had to do a lot of bad stuff, or not even bad stuff. Some of his, like, when he's in Dumbo, it's like, okay, he's going to be in a Disney movie. Tim Burton's directing. That sounds like something that should be a hit. And Dumbo was a mess, and Tim Burton, even very recently, is, like, out just talking all kinds of shit about the process of making that movie. Like, it just, things haven't clicked for him in a certain way. My question about that, though, is if he does take this all the way, wins Best Actor, does that change the course of what he's going to say yes to um, in the future and turn him into the kind of thing I was describing, where it's like most of what he's doing is taking very interesting roles. And I say I'd watch anything that he's in, but that's not true. I just meant like when he's in something good, I'm really excited about it. It's like Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke makes a lot of movies, and the good ones that he makes I really love, and the bad ones I i skip but he's still my guy so that's probably a better way to to describe my my thinking on who colin farrell's become to me because i don't think he's someone i would have mentioned in that breath before but this this movie in particular like you're saying is this the movie he should be remembered for uh you know maybe not but it but it also just I don't know if to your point, it, it feels like the one that's going to get him the recognition that he deserves. And I'm kind of excited by that prospect. And if you and I are, you know, in a scenario where we're watching the Oscars together uh, next year, I've, we'll be able to have a chat about Colin Farrell, Farrell's career arc and, and what that moment means. Do you know what he is doing next? You know what he's working on right now? Is it uh, a TV? I series? think you probably. It is too easy. I think you probably know and you've forgotten. He's doing a Penguin series. Yeah. So, I like, if if he did win Best Actor, he's locked into playing the Penguin on HBO Max for. And is that is that where we also see him reunite with Barry Keown next? I doubt it. Okay. Possibly, very briefly. I'm sure if that's the case. Um, I don't know any spoilers for the Batman. I guess for anyone who's interested, the Batman hasn't seen it by now. But Ty. I, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Don't worry, Ty's not listening to this part. Um, 
Matt Reeves and talking about Barry Keown as the Joker does not seem overly enthusiastic or like there's no urgency to the Joker being part of the story, which I think when we did that pod at the time, we both said that's a good thing. Um, don't just make this like a Joker franchise in a hurry. I think if it was me, I'd hold the Joker back as long as possible and keep him out of the next Batman movie. And you're saying the groundwork, maybe, maybe you can just build him as more of a kind of Spectre-like figure. Um, I do believe that this show is... Colin Farrell said it, I think, in his press rounds for Banshee's Winner Sharon. It starts off a week after the events of the Batman. So it's certainly possible, although we know where the Joker was when the Batman finished, whether that changes, how that changes, and how it kind of sets up. It's... I'll be interested when that series does come out. I can't believe we're now on to talk about the Penguin on this episode. But as to how much Warner and DC really feed that in, like, are they going to make that actually important in any way for the next Batman movie? Like, even even Marvel have been careful about the way they do that with their shows. Um, so if the Joker appears or anything kind of works as meaningful setup. That'd be interesting. I'd be surprised by it. Um, but Colin Farrell deserves very good things. I hope he's nominated. Um, we'll talk about it in Earth Science. This is shaping up to be a very, very strong, and I mean the strongest year ever uh, for Ireland at the Oscars. So you're going to hear me talk a lot more about that. There could be a lot of nominations and across quite a few different categories. So that's interesting. That's exciting. And I expect Colin Farrell to kind of be the face of that. Um, I think that's pretty much all I've got here. I I really, really, really like this film. And based on how I felt about Three Billboards, <laughs> and just the general, because look, in Bruges, okay, he has Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson playing Irish characters, but it is set in Belgium. Um, Very notably, it is set in Bruges. There is something that is still kind of an unknown about what does a Martin McDonough film look like in Ireland and how well does that work? And rightly or wrongly, I think the fact that he is from London probably brought even some skepticism to that from my part. Like that uh, Wild Mountain Time director who's like, oh, I'm Irish American. I can't remember his name. Um, <laughs> John Patrick Shanley, I think it's something like that. Another playwright too. Um, who but who was like, no, this is re- this is representative of the Ireland I know, and it's like, great, well, you don't know Ireland, so that's fantastic. There's always an air of trepidation with that sort of thing, but I, I think he kind of nailed it. And where it's left me, and I know how limiting this is, I just want to see him come up with different creative ways. And I mean, between in Bruges and, or, you know, it doesn't even have to be Ireland. Make some make some films in England, because even if I think of like. Ray Fiennes in In Bruges, that character is just electric and so, so funny. And both Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson's characters, they're Irish, but they're living in England at that time. Their life is there. Like, even if that's, if you want to make films again that are kind of about the perspective of, like, someone who is London Irish or whatever, make a film in England. I want to see more of that. I feel like I heard some hints, though, that what he's working on is very far removed from that. 
Um, and we'll be in another part of the world entirely. Like, maybe that works. Maybe he also has something completely different up his sleeve. At this point, I'm skeptical of that, though. His films all seem to be their thing. And they seem to align with what his plays were. And that is his voice. And again, I can't speak for everyone. But for me, they have not worked very well when translated to America as a setting. Where I think there's a lot of ground he could explore, particularly in England, the country he lives in. Um, that I don't know. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he won't. He's also, I mean, this is not generally the kind of stuff we get into. It's not overly relevant. He's in a relationship with Phoebe Waller Bridge, which is an absolute writing powerhouse couple. Um, if they ever want to collaborate on something, that could be good. But yeah, I don't know if you're with me on that, but I. I'll always have, he may well prove me wrong with whatever's next or something down the line, but I'll have a sense of unease or I'll be probably a little bit less excited about something where it feels like, oh, Martin McDonough is bringing his worldview, uh, his language too, and then it's insert country X, where clearly between Ireland and between the UK, there is something that he connects to in a way that is a lot easier for his films to feel like his. Yeah, I I think I'd probably agree with that. Like, I, I can't speak to Seven Psychopaths just because it's been so long, but Three Billboards worked on zero levels for me. So if if what he does next is is not what you're describing, then I'm just going to really be looking forward to, like, the next Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson reunion in, like, seven years. <laughs> which Which is something I would really love him to keep doing. Like, it's the kind of thing that when occasionally directors or writers, they find something like that, like, particularly, this is not, there's not even, like, anything close to a miss here. Like, you're two for two with this combination. Uh, this is my uh, uh, this is my new before trilogy, but yeah, different well, movies with these two. <laughs> I, look, I think there's something to that. And he he, he won best, uh, best Short Film at the Oscars to kickstart his career with Six Shooter, a short film with Brendan Gleeson in the lead role. And Colin Farrell was in Seven Psychopaths as well. So he has worked with both of them once beyond their collective kind of uh, collaborations. Uh, yeah, I'd really, I'd really like to see them keep doing stuff or just find ways. Like, even if it is as much more supporting characters, if, if the next film takes place somewhere completely different, well, where can you find, uh, where can you find a character where like Colin Farrell's coming in for a day to do? Kind of what Barry Cowan does here. Like Barry Cowan's role was a little bit bigger than I expected. Um, because I'd heard it was quite small and felt that could be distracting because everyone's gonna be like, oh, it's Barry Cowan. But he comes in and he gets to steal the show in a really fun way that I think you could certainly do that with those other two actors too. It was it's also we should just say the uh the third best uh performance of Brendan Gleason's career. Uh, number one, obviously, being Paddington too. Um, oh so, yes, you know. of course. Also, where's he going with this? Yeah. Um, number two being in Bruges. Is that what you're saying with that? Yeah, I don't think I have too many other examples with my relationship with him. He had a small role in The Edge of Tomorrow, right? Um, pretty big, like not massive, but pretty big. Um. Obviously, Mad Eye Moody. So that's going to be my wife's favorite yeah, performance people, of his. Yeah, <laughs> people refer to that one a lot. Um, 
That's how I had to explain it to colleagues about who was in a movie I saw <laughs> this weekend. That's a really unfortunate thing on Letterboxd that I noticed that a lot of the reviews for In Bruges are about Voldemort and Mad-Eye Moody and Grindelwald, who I believe oh, Colin God. Farrell plays I, in the Oh Fantastic my God, Beasts. I did not so, put that together. That's unfortunate. So, so there are people who are just solely reviewing the movie through that prism, which is... Gotta say, interesting. Um, hope those people are enjoying their lives. They seem really fulfilled. Uh, can we get uh, Donal, Colin, and Brendan Gleeson all in a Martin McDonough movie? I'm on board with that. I mean, I'm just spitballing Do- here. So, Donal is in Six Shooter in okay. the short. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's his first like screen actor role, but he's certainly one of his earliest. Really, really funny interactions between Donal and Brendan. Um, some of the I think funniest stuff in that short it's on YouTube for anyone who hasn't seen it it is worth checking out it is very much Martin McDonough but also maybe dialed up beyond a lot of what he's done since yeah I think we've we've pretty much covered it very very strong recommendation we'll be talking about it again one way or another I feel like Um, Uh, can I it'll come up down the line so I need to reevaluate my whole evaluation system um, because when we did our mid-year check-in, I think I had the Northman one and then this and the movie I saw last Thursday, which I'm still I'm like dangling. You're not you're not even saying we, what that is. Yeah, because we nah, will do an episode on it. Yeah, I think that one I saw on Thursday's one. I think this is a very close two for me, and I think they are leaps and bounds ahead of anything I said in our. our but that's not so. you don't have to reevaluate like. It is not unusual for what your halfway point of the year favorites to be to be completely swamped when the back half of the year movies come out because these are film festival movies. And then there are obviously films that some of them get into the awards picture too. It uh, doesn't always mean they're good, but some are generally very, very good. Like there's, it's it's part of the built-in, it, that's, somewhat why i wanted to do the mid-year one this year i don't think we've necessarily done that before but i think it's interesting it's fun it gives you a chance to shout out movies that honestly by end of the year could just be completely completely lost in the shuffle uh like without revealing anything i know if i look at my running top 10 list for 2022 maybe half of my top 10 has moved out already and with quite a few films still to come if not even more it might be it might be six of them have moved out um certainly films i talked about and really liked that were quite high are down in like comfortably down the teens some of them into the 20s so that's that's and part of what do... happens you don't need to reevaluate anything that's kind of how the movie year works and you you've got some catching up to do too we've like, moved, so we've moved into andrew crunch time this is like the part yeah. of year where i really like stretch my legs and and start to get going um a movie that you've seen that i haven't seen obviously it'll be factored in where we might have a special guest for that episode where we yell at him offline um and you know uh i'm i'm excited uh I want to just take like a week of vacation and just go to the theater every day because, you know, like like this one that I told you, it's like, OK, 
I I walked straight to an Irish pub because I watched a movie that was set largely at Irish pub. Movies can really influence, you know, how you're feeling and really bring you joy. Uh, on Thursday, I became a detective as soon as I got out of uh, the theater. So <laughs> a lot of uh, influence. You know, these, these breadcrumbs are becoming a little more concrete now. So people might get it. Um, yeah, there's look, there's you could see Tara right now, too. You haven't seen that yet. I think that's one. You should... Ah, yeah. You should try to get to. I think there's another week later in this month where you probably could take a week off. Andrew, I'm taking two weeks off soon, and I'm just gonna watch. Go to. I'm gonna go to cinema, see some movies, and I'm gonna watch a lot of the World Cup. Uh, Listen, when that's that's what I'm gonna do. When somebody problematic buys my favorite football team, I'm just done with sports. <laughs> so I'm gonna have a lot more time for movies. All right, we've got more to come. Um. Our next episode should arrive later in the week. I won't reveal what it's about yet because I don't know if it will be about what I think it's about. We've got some scheduling stuff to work out. We'll see how that goes. But we should have an episode later in the week. Um, I think should I just should I just tear the bandaid off and the thing you've been hinting at? Should we slot in for next week for our next movie episode anyway? Let's do it. Uh, I might want to go rewatch it, and also after I watch, you'll have, you'll have some other stuff to watch too. Yeah. Um, the next movie pod we'll do, which will be around the same time next week, will be on decision to leave, and probably some of the wider filmography of Park Chan Wook as well, and um, the Korean master. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to tip my hat to where my list stands right now, but Andrew has already given a good sense of where he lies on it and I don't know there's not too many times I'm always on Andrew's case where I'm like Andrew you should go see this movie or you should go I I really just told him he was going to see this movie I helped in actively looking up where it was and if it was still playing near him made sure he went and uh, yeah I think that experience paid off you you enjoyed it so we'll we'll talk some <laughs> decision to leave and we'll talk some more Park Chan Wook generally and advocate you for mean, that next week. You mean it wasn't Don't Worry Darling, which I also watched this week? How dare you assume? <laughs> no, it was not Don't Worry Darling. <laughs> Maybe if we've got to fill a gap later this week, that's what happens, Andrew. Who knows? Sounds great. I look forward to it. What a film. When I say who what knows, I know that is not what we will be doing. Um, okay. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're also, at least for the time being, like everyone else on Twitter, at Make Time For This. Uh, you can go to gspn.info and you can get the details on all of the Eurostep Podcast Network shows. So in addition to Make Time For This, you've got the main Eurostep Podcast Network feed, which covers all things Milwaukee books, Tywin Ishiron Caddy on the Eurostep, myself and Jordan Tresky on Winning Six. We've got Talk of the Tundra with Numak and Jordan covering the Green Bay Packers. What a fun rally that one is. Uh, we've got cruising for a bruising. Me and you, Andrew, talking all things brewers. We're going to start our, uh, I guess, our true retrospectives. We could continue to dive into things that owners surface to say and how they say them this week. But I think I'm going to just try and just put a lid on that. Let's move on. Let's talk about some baseball players. Listen, and we're uh, Eric Lauer super fans. That's all we're going to say. We sure are. Um, I think that's it. I don't think I've forgotten any podcasts on our network. It, 
if anyone uh if anyone likes college basketball that's a listener i'm the only one on gsbn that that does and now that players can get paid i'm more than comfortable podcasting about it so you know come on make time for this uh, and talk about college wow. basketball season season starts tonight <laughs> wow we may field some uh may field some invites i don't know like an error in 40 error in 30 into the banshees of finishing pod if that is where that's gonna get to people but we'll see it's a true test all right. Marketing Until is my next passion. time. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam.